Good morning. Our scripture reading comes from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verse 10 through chapter 4, verse 11. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And also much cattle. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. If you would please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Our title is entitled The Species of Anger. And as we look at this topic of anger during our time of Live 13, The interesting, sometimes fascinating, as well as devastating aspect of anger is that it has many offspring, and there are many things that breed it as well, and we want to look at that today. And ultimately, what Scripture portrays for us and and paints for us, if you will, is a picture of how absolutely devastating and severe anger can be. And so it, it begs us to pay attention to it. It begs us to take it seriously because Scripture portrays it so. And it begs us to deal with it in a way that's going to bring honor and glory to the Lord. In Ephesians 4, verse 31, Paul says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Will you pray with me? Fathers, we come before you. We come before you because we are dependent on you. We cannot understand your word without you. We cannot put your word into practice without you. And I do pray, Lord, that we would read, study, and 
listen to your word preached with the intention of doing what it says. Lord, I certainly pray that you would cause us to be motivated by walking in a manner that's worthy of our calling, that you would cause us to be motivated to walk in a way that is pleasing to you, our Father, as your children. And Lord, we understand that anger really gets in the way. It truly gets in the way of us portraying you and proclaiming you as you are. And Lord, so we want to deal with it. And we need your help to do it. So help us this morning, Lord, to understand more about it and how as well we might bring it to extinction in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people say. So I was doing some research on life cycle species. And uh, I found an article in the Oxford Journal. I felt pretty proud of myself to be reading such a thing. And I found something out about the typical life cycle of a species. It's born, it grows and reproduces, and eventually dies. And some of you are thinking, wow, I could have told you that. Yeah, it's so common sense, such common sense, that it doesn't take much for us to figure out that anything that is living and breathing at one point was born, at some point it grows, it can reproduce, and eventually can also die. And sin is likened to the life cycle. And James 1, 14, 15 talks about it this way. He says, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And uh, this is why we relate so well to John Owen's book on mortification of sin when he, he says that be killing sin or it will be killing you. And so anger, like other sins, is to be killed or it will indeed be killing us. The truth of the matter is anger, unbiblical anger, is quite a killer. It kills marriages. It kills parent-child relationships. It divides churches. It questions the goodness and wisdom of God. It kills the testimony of the church and the gospel. And today I want to address the various species of anger, but before we do, I want to provide just a brief overview of the nature of anger. The first is this, anger is a response. It's both an emotional and a physical response to a negative judgment that you make on a perceived evil. Anger is an issue of the heart. It, It comes from our wants and our desires and our thoughts. Anger is natural. The capacity to experience anger was part of man at creation. It isn't sinful in and of itself. It is possible to be angry in a good way. Psalm 4.4 reminds us, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. The issue is there is that in your anger, you are subduing it and you are controlling it. And Ephesians 4.26, Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Some of you have been in our growing classes when we talk about anger. I remind you that that doesn't mean that you move to Alaska. Okay? It means that you deal with anger right away. And we deal with it immediately and forthrightly. Also, anger is something we do. The Bible makes it clear that anger isn't something that someone or something else makes us do. We can never say that you make me angry. Now, we can't say that, but it's never truthful. Okay. Now, I want to remind you as we talk about this, please, 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 please. When somebody is angry, don't just go up to them and say, you know I'm not making you that way. Okay. It's not good counseling. Okay. 
And it's not really according to the need of the moment. It's, it's not really going to be very helpful. But the truth is, no one makes us angry. Yeah, but wait a minute. What if someone insults me or gives me grief? Well, Psalm 119 is, is awesome in this respect. The psalmist says, many are my persecutors and my adversaries. Many of them. But I do not swerve from your testimonies. So even though I have many persecutors, I have many adversaries, I'm not going to swerve to the left or right from your testimonies, from your commands, from doing what your word says. What if nothing goes my way and it seems everything around me is falling apart? Habakkuk 3, 17 and 19 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields Yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, no matter all this is going on, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, He's my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So even though everything would be falling apart around me, I will rejoice in my God because He is my strength. Listen to God's advice to Cain in Genesis 4. He says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? And so this is really counseling 101. Anyone ever seen Bob Newhart video on YouTube about counseling? Mary just says, Stop it, right? Okay, well, it's not very far from God's counsel here. He says simply this, If you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, this is the cure. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. And if you do not do well, he says, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. That was the counsel that he gave to Cain in the midst of his anger. And since we've been crucified with Christ, we no longer let sin reign or have mastery over us. And so, again, anger is something we do. No one, no thing makes us angry. And it's important for us to understand that. And lastly, anger is deceptive. Anger is really deceptive. Because we believe we have a right to be angry. And that everyone else should just understand. We have a right to be angry and everyone else should just understand. Now let's look at the various species of anger. Sound like Marlon Perkins. Let's. There was an age divide, just got reflected. <laughs> now, all the kids, who's Marlon Perkins? Who's that? We're going to look at what breeds anger and what anger breeds. And then we're also going to look at what brings anger to the point of extinction. So first, let's look at what breeds anger. What is it that breeds anger? Now, there are many more than what we're going to mention. So this is a sampling. But the primary cause is our own selfish desires. James 4 reminds us, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. And the word for passion there is hedone. It's where we get the the word hedonism. And it means personal pleasure, gratification, enjoyment. It is a selfish kind of passion or pleasure. You desire and you do not have, and so you murder. You covet, you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. 
You don't have because you don't ask. You ask, you don't receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And and so at the heart of anger ultimately is our heart of selfishness. In essence, it is our worship of self that produces unbiblical anger. So the one thing, one thing that, that, not the one thing, but one thing that certainly produces anger and breeds it is the worshiping of self. Or worshiping of self. Ken Sandy, in his book Peacemaker, describes this progression of selfish desire. He says, I desire or I want something, and so I demand it or I expect it. And then if I don't get it, then I judge and eventually I punish. And that might be directed toward God or it might be directed toward others. We can't, we want control and we want to control what happens around us. And, and so because we love value and we prioritize ourselves, certain circumstances then provoke us to anger. And again, it's not the circumstances that are to blame. The reason they provoke us is because they strike at what we value. They, they strike at what we worship, which is ourselves. Now here are some external circumstances that may incite us. Maybe you've been deceived or fooled by someone. Maybe you've been treated unfairly. You believe, you value yourself, you prioritize yourself. You believe you should be treated fairly. Someone else receiving more attention than you. Not getting what you want. Wanting to get somewhere in a hurry and being hindered. Being reproved or rebuked by others. Not getting what you deserve. I have a right to this, you might think. Many times we get sinfully angry because of that, because we believe, we really believe that we have a right to certain things. Think about this real quick. Which of the following do you consider to be your rights? I have a right to have and control my personal belongings. I have a right to privacy. I have a right to have and express my opinions. I have a right to earn and use money the way I want. Now again, we don't look at these and say, well, wait, whoa. Are some of these just wrong? I mean, is it, is it wrong for me to want to create some privacy? No, 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 not at all. We're not addressing that, but what we're talking about is the fact that I will be or I am willing to be provoked within my spirit to be rise, raised up and emblazoned with passion to the point where I will sinfully behave toward others if I'm not getting it. And my thought pattern is I have a right to this and I'm going to defend it, whatever the cost Maybe I have to think to myself that I have a right to be respected. I have a right to be appreciated. I have a right to be married. I have a right to have the job I want. I have a right to be treated fairly. I have a right to have fun. I have a right to be successful. I have a right to have my own way. Matter of fact, I have a right to just be free of difficulties and problems. These are all just different issues that might go through our minds that provoke anger in us. And these perceived rights come from a heart that ultimately loves self. They derive from a heart that is consumed with my agenda and not God's agenda. And and that is why one of the basic questions to ask when you're sinfully angry is just simply this. What is it that I want in this situation? You sense you feel yourself really getting incited and you want to respond poorly unbiblically one of the most fundamental questions to ask is just simply what do i want what is it that i want or what is there a right that i think i have that is not being met 
If we want what God wants, we're going to get angry for the right reasons. Now we're going to look at a few more uh, attitudes and behaviors that breed fear, and but they all really stem from this love of self. The second one is fear. Fear. Fear breeds anger. We fear something bad happening to us or someone else. And, and this is a little uh, different in the sense that it's not that I'm actually getting angry about something that has happened. I'm actually getting angry about the potential of something happening. That's the issue of fear. Sometimes parents, we get angry when our child does something to scare us. You know, how many times does a child run out into the street? (laughs) Right? And then we grab that child, we come back, and what do we say? Do you know how much you scared me? You know, and then depending on how we might treat them after that, you know, sometimes you have to wonder, did they, did they really scare you or is it only you that wants to inflict pain, right? You know, it's, I don't want anyone else to do it. Just me. Do you know how much you scared me? <sighs> okay. So we lose it sometimes. Another thing that breeds anger is jealousy and envy. Proverbs 6.34 says, For jealousy makes a man furious. He will not spare when he takes revenge. In our selfish passion, we want what others have. And we think, because they have it, I deserve to have it. I mean, that's the logic in my house. I mean, that's totally the logic. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I hear that. Can I have this? No. But so-and-so had that. Okay? I mean, it's our logic. We believe that if only we had that thing that they have, that thing that, that just seems to be bringing them so much joy, that I too will be happy. And we're driven by our deceitful desires. Paul mentions that in Ephesians 4.22, that there are deceitful desires. It's these desires that come from our hearts that basically tell us, if you get this, you will be happy. I promise. Right? And it never fulfills that promise. Jealousy and envy will breed anger and oftentimes can produce hatred for one another. Listen to Paul's description of non-believers in Titus 3, verse 3. He says, For we ourselves, we were once foolish, disobedient. We were led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. This is why sinful anger does not produce the righteousness of God. The church as his children are to be characterized by wisdom, to be characterized by obedience, to be characterized as slaves to righteousness, to be characterized by passing our days in kindness and care, loved by others and loving others. Envy, jealousy, fear, and self-love all breed anger. Another behavioral issue that breeds anger is the lack of self-control. The lack of self-control. This refers to having mastery over yourself. It's having the strength to control your passions and your desires. Proverbs 25:28, a man without self-control, he's like a city broken into and left without walls. And during that time, cities defended themselves with an impenetrable wall. And unless a, an enemy army could sustain an attack, the city would be safe. But if the wall was breached or if there was no wall, then the enemy could come in at will. And so it is with the human heart. If we cannot control ourselves, then we are easily defeated. It makes us think and act irrationally. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger, he's better than the mighty. 
And he who rules is spirit than he who takes a city. And the word mighty there, it's referring to a mighty warrior. A heroic soldier. One who does admirable things. One that we would look up to and just say, wow, look at them. And what the proverb is saying is that the one who controls his spirit has achieved even a greater victory. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. You know, one of the greatest lines, if you haven't seen this movie, it's a wonderful movie, um, 42, Jackie Robinson. One of the greatest lines in there was when Jackie Robinson says, wait a minute, do you want a player who won't stand up for himself? And what did he say? Oh, this is such a great line. When he said this line, I said, yeah, this is a good movie. Because he looked at him and he said, no, I want you to be man enough not to stand up for yourself. In other words, I want you to be man enough and strong enough to use self-control. That even when you're in the face of injustice, that even when you're in the face of insult, that even when you're in the face of things not going the way that you want them to go, you will be strong. You will control yourself. And we have a much greater cause at stake. The cause of Christ and His church. The one who controls his spirit, again, has achieved a greater victory. When it comes to killing unbiblical anger, self-control is essential. Another potential breeder of anger are your friends. Are your friends. That doesn't mean you start looking at each other. But Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 says this, Make no friendship with a man that is given to anger. Nor go with a wrathful man, a hot-tempered and easily angered man, is the NIV translation, unless you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. And what he is saying is that a close association when one who is hot-tempered and easily angered may lead you down a path you do not want to go. That's what's intimated by the words entangled and to a snare. The idea of entangled is that you're going to be taken away to a place you don't want to go. And the place you're going to go is a snare where you're trapped. And so it's the idea of being taken to a place in your life with undesirable results. Parents, please remember that our children learn our hot-tempered ways. That if we don't get this in check, we are the people who are being closely associated and they are learning our ways. And remember, the command of parents is to train them up and equip them and lead them in the way they should go. Should go. Another quite obvious behavior that breeds anger is keeping record. Keeping record. Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. That whole phrase, love covers a multitude of sins, is a quote from Proverbs 10, 12. It is the nature of true spiritual love, whether from God to man or Christian to Christian, to cover sins. It, it means specifically that we should overlook sins against us if possible and always be ready to forgive insults, unkindnesses, and perceived injustices. Keeping record keeps the wounds fresh. 
Some have said that when people wrong you, you should talk to as many people about it as possible because you need to process it. You need to deal with it. And it doesn't do anything but simply continue to keep the wound fresh. Keeping record of wrongs will certainly breed anger. Now, I've talked about six attitude and behaviors that are negative and unbiblical. And if we were to deal with any of those issues, we would help begin to stifle and to extinguish the life cycle of anger. But there are some positive issues that breed anger. One of which is human suffering. Jesus displays a grievous anger over human suffering in John eleven thirty three. He's grieved over the death of Lazarus and its results. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. It's good to be moved and angry by human suffering, but in your anger, do not sin. One simple way to think of righteous anger is simply this. Righteous anger anger means there is a righteous reason and a righteous response. You may have a righteous reason, but if you have an unrighteous response, that is unrighteous and unbiblical anger. But if you have a righteous reason and a righteous response, then you have righteous anger. And we can respond to human suffering by using that energy, using that passion that when we see others hurt and we see the trouble that the the curse of sin has on humanity and on our lives and the lives of our family and the people that we love and the people in our community and the people in our country and in this world, when we see that, it is absolutely appropriate to be angered by it, to be grieved by it, to be moved deeply by that. And then to respond and take that energy, take that passion that has been aroused and bring comfort and care to others. Another good thing that breeds anger is personal sin. Personal sin. This is what Paul addresses in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 when he talks about the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. And he says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation that there's grief and there's indignation. There is anger about what you have done. And this anger is at our sin. We're we're angry at how this grieves the Lord and how it grieves others. You know, predominantly when we are angry, it's because of what someone else has done to us. And very often we don't get very angry about what we may have done to someone else. It's very appropriate to be grieved by personal sin. And then what does that produce? The righteous response of being angry about your sin is not I'm just a nobody. I can't get it right. Okay, that's not it. You know, you shouldn't have married me. Oh, you should never be my friend. No, that's not right either. The righteous response to that kind of grieving and that kind of anger would then be to repent. Would be then to use that energy and use that passion toward making every effort to add to our faith virtue and add to our virtue knowledge and add to our knowledge self-control so on through godliness brotherly love and love 
that we would make every effort, we'd use that energy for that purpose. So we've seen a sampling of eight attitudes and behaviors that breed anger. Now let's look at what anger breeds. What anger breeds. Sadly, anger has many evil offspring. And I want to put these under four main categories, not all evil. But in our passage here, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And I want to put this under the title, A Decaying Lifestyle. So the first thing that we see in Ephesians 4.31 that anger breeds is a decaying lifestyle. Paul uses these terms as a real summary of anger and its species. And he says, let them all, in all their fashions, in all their forms, in all their subspecies, be put to death. And he presents these terms in a climactic way. Bitterness reflects that smoldering resentment, that brooding grudge-filled attitude. It's, it's that spirit of irritability that keeps you hostile toward others. It's, it's likened to a dry keg of powder. Right? One small spark and that thing will go off. It makes you sour and venomous. You're ready to jab someone at a moment's notice. All that person has to do is simply breathe. Right? And you're angry. Then there's wrath, and that has to do with a wild rage. It's, 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 it's kind of like a, a short burst of wild rage, and it subsides. It's, it's just a burst of anger. It kind of comes out. Anger, then, is that more internal, slow burn, a subtle and deep feeling. Clamor, then, is the shout and outcry of strife and reflects the public outburst that reveals loss of control. And sometimes that could even be done quietly. Somebody gets angry, they say not a word, but you can see it on their face. And they just walk, and then you hear the door, right? It's the most common expression of anger in a household, is it not? The slamming of a door. Why is it that we learn that? I don't know. I have no idea. But it is the most common expression of anger in the home. But then that builds up into slander, this is the word where we get our word blasphemy. It's the ongoing defamation of someone that rises from a bitter heart. I want everybody to know how bad they are. I'm so angry at them, I want everybody else to know how bad they are. Part of that is because I want other people to, to see how justified I am in my anger. And I want them to be on my side. And that's slander. And then Paul adds malice. And the general term for evil, this is a general term for evil. It's the root of all vices. Malice is that holding of a grudge, being spiteful, wanting to hurt. Being vicious, hateful, and cruel. It's the idea that I want someone to be hurt. I was singing about Pastor Mark's illustration last week. And uh, just the whole idea of driving up next to somebody and I want to get them. And it made me think of an illustration from my childhood when I had done something wrong to uh, a kid in the neighborhood. And I still remember so vivid. He, he starts going across the street crying. And, and he says, I know something on TV tonight that you don't know. Right, you know. But regardless of its ill attempt, it was certainly malicious in its intent. Additionally, Scripture speaks of other attitudes and behavioral anger that, that is breed, uh, bred. One is mental murder. Jesus talks about that in Matthew 5. There's physical murder. Anger breeds impatience. It breeds manipulation. We want to control people by our anger. You don't want to see me angry, do you? 
right? In other words, you don't want to keep doing what you're doing or they're going to get angry and you don't want to see that. Hear this. Please hear this. When, when we use our anger to manipulate people, whether our kids or our spouse or a coworker, we are inadvertently turning their fear toward us and not God. We seek to have people fear us instead of God. I came across this advice from an early church father. It was written sometime about a hundred years after Christ's death. And he said, You shall not give orders to your slave or servant girl who hope in the same God as you when you are angry, lest they cease to fear the God who is over you both. Parents, bosses, do we use anger to breed fear? And do we understand when we do so that we're causing people to fear us and not fear God? It also leads to violent venting and quarreling and fighting. Secondly, anger breeds a decaying lifestyle, but secondly, anger also breeds a discolored ministry. A discolored ministry. You bring shame to yourself and others. You bring about disrespect and hatred of others. People lose confidence in those who are given to anger and hot-tempered. Others will fear and be imitated by you. People will avoid you. Uh, Oftentimes we avoid people because of it. People ultimately don't want to be with an angry person, do not want to be with someone who is given to anger or hot-tempered. We end up being a bad influence on others. Ultimately, the cause of the Church of Christ is hurt. And we're responsible then for promoting unrighteousness as opposed to righteousness. It's really difficult to have an effective ministry when people don't want to be around you. Right? I mean, it just kind of goes hand-in-hand with ministry. If, if, if people don't want to be with you, you're going to have a very difficult time ministering to them. If they don't respect you because of anger or they think you is foolish, they're going to be less likely to hear what you have to say. Third, anger breeds a distaste for the gospel. Anger breeds a distaste for the gospel. Because anger breeds vengeance. Romans 12, 17-21 says, Repay no one for evil for evil, but give thought, stop and think, as we talked about last week, and do what is honorable in the sight of all. Seek to do what is right. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Now there's no discounting of the sin that's being committed, but, he says, leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And this is best understood as giving cause for shame and regret that might bring about repentance. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Vengeful thinking and behavior, whether it's loud or quiet, is disobedient and it is rebellious. He says, no evil for evil. Do what is honorable. Live peaceably. Never avenge yourselves. Leave it to God. It is distrusting God. He doesn't know best. Or maybe He won't avenge any wrongdoing. Maybe He won't do it the way I want it to be done. We're more concerned. Catch this. 
We are more concerned about them paying and less concerned about them repenting. God's method for bringing them to repentance is your honorable, loving, and peaceable behavior. So the question we have to ask ourselves when we are wanting people to pay for what they have done is this. Do you want them to pay for what they did? Or do you want them to be genuinely sorry for what they did? Bringing about remorse, bringing about regret, bringing about repentance. See, Christ paid our and their punishment on the cross. We do not punish others for sins Christ already paid for. Seeking vengeance simply diminishes the message of the cross. We don't demand people to pay when Christ already did. Sadly, when left unchecked, our anger then may even grow to the point where we hate the gospel. We grow to despise certain people so much that we don't even want them to be saved. They're the last people we want God's mercy to be showered upon. And oh, how that would break the heart of our God. And break the entire purpose of the church. But isn't that what we see in the heart display in Jonah 4? When God saw what they had done, how they had turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I yet in my country That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, and I didn't like it. I liked it for me. I definitely like it for me. But not for them. You're slow to anger. Not for them. You're abounding in steadfast. Not for them. And you relent from disaster. Please, not for them. See, we forgive as we have been forgiven. We love God's agenda, not ours. We embrace His ministry, His gospel. We proclaim it to all who will hear it with a heart that wants to see people saved. Who wants to see people repent and be redeemed. So again, those are three negative things that are bred from anger. But the fourth is a positive, And that is anger breeds a display of righteousness. And we talked about that in what can breed anger, but there's a display of righteousness. One would be repentance. So when you are angry about your personal sin and that leads to repentance, that is a display of righteousness. Or it may lead to constructive ministry. That when you see injustices, you're angry. You use that energy to provide care and comfort. When you see people in the world living debauched lifestyles, be angry and then share with them the good news of Jesus Christ When you see people misrepresenting God, be angry and then speak up with gentleness. That's what Paul, that's Paul's counsel to Timothy. And he says, not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. So, We've seen what breeds anger, what anger breeds. And just lastly, what brings anger to extinction? Now, many things that we can talk about, and and some of which we are on Sunday mornings, and others are being talked about in our live groups. But right here in verse 32 of chapter 4, Paul gives us what will bring anger to extinction. Be kind to one another, 
tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. We are to be kind toward one another. This is the kind of kindness, it's unconditional kindness that God displays on us that yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We are to be tender-hearted. It's the idea of being compassionate and caring. It, it reflects a feeling a deep in our stomach. It's that gnawing inner pain due to empathy for others' needs. And we are to forgive one another. It's so basic to Christianity. We only exist because of forgiveness. If we didn't have forgiveness, we wouldn't have hope. Without it, we'd be enemies of God. It's so basic to reflecting Christ-like character. And we have that wonderful parable in Matthew 18 of the unmerciful servant, forgiven so much. And we look at that and we're supposed, we're expected to read that story and go, that guy isn't, he's an idiot. As Pastor Mark told us, he's waving the flag, right? Of a fool. He was forgiven so much. And then he demanded be paid back from his fellow servant. These are the graces that God has shown us. They're gracious virtues that we are to show to others. And as we practice these things, as we practice kindness, as we practice tenderheartedness, as we practice forgiving others, we will indeed bring anger to extinction. And remember, I'm referring to unbiblical anger, where we are getting angry and roused by the wrong things responding in the wrong way. Father, thank You so much for the love that You have shown us. And I certainly do pray that that love would captivate our hearts. It would arrest us with such severity that we would want to be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving just as we have been forgiven by You. May we never lose sight of realizing what we deserve. We deserve to die on the cross as You did for our sins. We deserve spiritual, ultimate, total, complete death brought about by Your just wrath. May we ever be reminded that when Jesus Christ hung on the cross and He cried, My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? That He cried that cry that none of us ever will if we have put our trust and our hope and our faith in You. And then may that then free us to be kind tenderhearted, and forgiving of others. It is in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people say,